0: This is an ABC podcast.
1: This is the
2: Conversation Hour.
0: On ABC Radio, Melbourne and Victoria.
2: Does Australia have a history of viewing unemployment as some sort of moral failing that needs to be punished rather than supported? The word doleblood, bludger. It's a word that we own and it still gets thrown around a lot and many people believe those who are unemployed and receiving government benefits are just lazy and rorting the system, leaving an easy life, doing nothing and living on the dole. So how much of that is true. And we look at jobseeker and the fact that we know it's going to be a big part of tomorrow's budget even if we look at its predecessor new start, it hasn't really increased in real terms since about 1994. The payment on average is around $50 a day. And as we said it's expected to be in the federal budget tomorrow around 227,000 jobseeker recipients over the age of 55 may receive an extra $3.70 a day. And many advocates are still holding hope that there may be an increase for all job seekers. So who and what defines a job seeker? What has led you potentially to be on government benefits whilst you're looking for a job? And what is day-to-day life like? Can you afford to live easily and with dignity on $50 a day? And when you are unemployed and looking for a job, how do people view you? Do you feel like that people see you as a doll bludger
0: On ABC Radio, Melbourne and Victoria.
2: This is the Conversation Hour. Good morning. My name's Rochelle Hunt, your co-host today, Ashlyn McGee from 7.30. Ash, this is... It's kind of complicated. It's a little bit emotional. It gets people very angry very mm. quickly when we talk about unemployment and dull bludges. Do we, as Australians, as Victorians, have a stereotyped view of someone who's receiving unemployment benefits? Do you think?
1: You know, Rochelle, I suspect if you asked any person on Job Seeker, they would say. Absolutely. And I've spent a lot of time over the past week actually talking to people on JobSeeker uh, for a story on 7.30 tonight. And in having those conversations, so many people are reluctant to talk publicly about what their life is like because they're worried that people will judge them. They say, my closest friends and family don't know and I don't want them to know because I'm embarrassed that this is my life. And I think if we look at why that is, let's just throw right back Think back to the Paxtons on a current affair. Everybody knows about the Paxtons. I googled their name the other day, by the way, and a, a news story came up. We're still talking about a family who was receiving uh, welfare back then. So I think we've got this long history of of what we think of people that are on the dole, and and it's interesting to see sort of the political
2: machinations and 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 how that actually came to be. And later in the program, we'll find out how the term doll bludger did come to be and how we all feel like we have some kind of ownership or we are affected personally Mm. by the idea of someone being on unemployment benefits. And a lot of the debate will come back to, well, just go and get a job. There are plenty of jobs out there. Just go and get a job. So that's one of the arguments and maybe that's fair enough. But then there's also... The argument or the conversation around, well, is any job okay and could and should the government support you to find a better job, uh, a long-term job, or should you just get off benefits and get that job as quickly as possible to, so that you're not rotting the system? Mm.
1: I think that's it. It's how we look at job JobSeeker. Is it essentially a safety net of, oh, my gosh, I lost my job. Uh, I need – quickly, I need some support to help me meet my mortgage repayments or my rent payments or, I don't know, pay for groceries – Or do we see it as something that is a longer term social structure that is needed because of all the other things that happen in people's lives that lead them to that position where they're out of work? And I think it's interesting just in talking about all of this, because as you say, we all have a view, everyone has an opinion and shares it. But just to get the actual Hmm. figures, because we're talking about the federal budget tomorrow, so... If you're single with no kids, you get about $49 a day. If you're partnered, it's about $45 a day. And if you're a single principal carer, so this is sort of the highest rate of job seeker. You've got all sorts of responsibilities. It's about $68 a day, but that's to pay for your kids as well, which... That is a uh, very small amount if you've got
2: kids in the house. This text. public attitudes to unemployment benefits are greatly affected by politicians who have gone through life with absolutely no understanding of living in poverty and being unemployed. Attitudes are greatly reflected in the treatment of unemployed. Brian's in Ballarat. Good morning, Brian.
0: Good morning, Rochelle. As I said to your producer... All these people having a shot at dolies, and I was put on the Dole by Kenneth and Tien 25 years ago, uh, fortunately got off it. But you still have to, in over a 14-day period, not a 10-days working, but 14 days, you must apply and approach at least 20 employers, produce evidence that you have approached those people, and then see if there's any jobs available. Uh, would you like to, in, in a 14-day period, go through until you could get 20 verifications that you did apply for a job, petrol, or at least in the city, you're lucky you've got buses and trains. Been in the country, get in the car, do it, but uh, your phone bill goes right through the roof. So all these people saying, oh, there's plenty of jobs out there. What about the employer? If I walk in at uh, 81 years of age and apply for a... Uh, a uh, barista's mm. job, which I'm quite capable of doing. Am I going to get it?
2: Well, I guess the argument there, Brian, is by either government and you know many people in society is that you have to work hard to look for a job in order to get that payment. But are you saying that depending on where you live and your circumstances, it's really hard to meet those requirements to seek that job?
0: Definitely. Uh, yeah. Particularly, I've mentioned Melbourne. If you're not close to a railway station or a decent bus route, or you live in the country, Yep. Uh, you need petrol, you need a car or you need a damn good
3: friend He's to gonna drive you around. <laughs> around.
2: It's very true. It's expensive and then not on top of it, you also need to ensure that you've got nice clothes, you've got whether it be a shirt or whatever you need in order to go for that job application. There's a lot involved in applying for a job. It's not as simple as picking up the phone to Perry's pizzas and saying, have you got any work (laughs) going, mate? No? All right. See you later. I think the thing I heard from a lot of people, and we'll come to this in a moment uh, with with
1: our first guest, is really about uh, how much it occupies your time and your brain space to actually just meet all those requirements and do all those things that you have to do. And I just wanted to point to a couple of text messages here that have been coming in. Someone says, it's not $50 a day. You do get other fringe benefits. I've been on it. And someone else says that figure is... the What is not included in the figure is rent assistance, the concession card, which gives you discounts on bills, rego, medicine, childcare, public transport, et cetera, et cetera. So there are a, a range of other, uh, I guess, financial um, supports that yeah. come with that. But... Um, it's an interesting question, isn't it?
2: Julie says, Dole bludger, what an awful term that's used to other than anyone that can fit into a corporate stereotype. And particularly now when costs are up due to corporate profits, most cultures have a respect for their social welfare system and they actually thrive. That's from Julie. So are you on JobSeeker? Have you, how do you feel like you are viewed as someone that receives unemployment benefits? And do you expect there to be an increase tomorrow in the federal budget?
0: This is The Conversation Hour.
2: On ABC Radio Melbourne and Victoria. Rochelle Hunt and Ashley McGee from 7.30 with you today. We're looking at how we view someone who is receiving unemployment benefits, whether you're young, old, how long you're seeking work, and whether or not you should just take a job, any job, and get off those benefits as quickly as possible. The idea of, I guess, Ash, what we have termed in Australia... Adult bludger.
1: Mm, that's exactly right, and it's certainly a stigma that I think a lot of people feel. Um, Faye joins us now. Faye is uh, living in regional Victoria and has been on, or is a, is currently actually on Job Seeker. Um, rather than us deciding whether uh, people feel that stigma, Faye, I, I wanted to ask you is that is that something that you feel that stigma or or the judgment from other people that you're on Job Seeker?
4: Um. Yes. Good morning. I wouldn't say I've received a lot of um, judgment. Um, it's a little bit um, demeaning in some ways, um, especially when you're used to sort of working for so long and then all of a sudden you find yourself unemployed. Um, you can feel a little bit, um, yeah, sort of demeaning and that you've you found yourself in this position. How did you
1: come to be there, Faye?
4: Um, well, I sort of... Um, Lost my job um, a few years ago and um, I've just had difficulty picking up another one.
1: What kind of work were you doing?
4: Um, I was working for a small security firm um, as a um, monitoring officer and, um, yeah, they sort of closed that side of the business down and I was sort of made redundant. But because I had was on an um, uh, ABN you know, to do your, um, to uh, what's mm, the like word? the
1: subcontracting type arrangement. Yeah, exactly. Yeah.
4: Sub- subcontracting yeah. thing. So where I had to pay my own, um, pay my own holiday pay, sick pay, and superannuation. Mm. Um, yeah, just finding myself unemployed like that, I just sort of found it uh, found it difficult. And um, yeah, then I sort of moved from Queensland to Victoria, and I was sort of haven't had much. Um, um, luck since really.
2: And the idea of living in regional Victoria it is, as we heard from Brian who rang before there's a whole other layer of difficulties when it comes to finding work, how much work is available and the cost of going for a job interview or whatever it may be. But Faye, as... You know, you're a woman uh, a little over 60 years of age and in the federal budget tomorrow we are hoping, and there's sort of been some leaks, that for women over the age of 55 they will see an increase, not much, around sort of $4 a day, but an increase to Job Seeker. Mm-hmm. How important do you think it is to have women like yourself have a safety net there? Because we know now that women of your age are the fastest growing group of homeless. And we know that because you've had insecure work for years because you have no superannuation. And if you go through anything like a separation or a divorce, it's just going to make things trickier. Do you feel like that security net is strong enough for you at the moment?
4: Well, it definitely um, helps to sort of have that security net. Um, um, I agree with Brian, you know, with the new mutual obligations. You know, having to look for 20, 20 jobs, you know, in regional um, Victoria is pretty, you know, uh, it's a, it's too much really. Yeah. I've um, been fortunate enough to sort of have mine sort of decreased a bit. So, but even trying to find that amount of jobs, you know, in regional uh, Victoria, it's it's sort of like, it's non-existent really mm. sometimes. I just walk around to the local... Local um, shops and area, just um, walk in and say, "Do you have any um, any jobs going? Anything available?" Um, yeah, that's that's what I'm doing at the moment. Mm. Can you is tell? It's a- foot traffic. <laughs>
2: <Yeah>. <laughs> it's probably the most effective way. That's I this what I was, down, isn't when isn't I was unemployed. <laughs> I figured if I walked into ten shops, I'd get <laughs> at least one interview <laughs>
1: <laughs> and I hope for the best, yeah. Can I, Faye, I think there's sort of, um, people don't actually perhaps realise what the day to day life of someone on Job Seeker looks like, just in terms of what you have to do to meet those obligations, all the reporting things. Can you just tell me in practice, what do you actually do? Do you have to go into Centrelink in person to sort of show here's the, receipt? like, what do you do and how do you show it and how do you prove it? What's that, what's Most it like? of-
4: most of my mutual obligations are done online um, i sort of uh, I, I research um, uh, seek uh for job opportunities also um like i said go down to uh areas in my local area to see if there's any employment around there and uh yeah it just sort of it's it's quite uh, quite daunting
2: really. And you've used the word daunting but you also used the word demeaning earlier on Faye and for anyone that's been unemployed I think they could relate to that because you must feel like and I know whether it be my mum or myself you feel like you sort of want to tell people your backstory to say well this is not how I've always been and this is not the situation I've always been in and you do feel like there's some judgment being cast on you from maybe someone who doesn't know your entire story. How has that feeling, how's that demeaning feeling, what sort of impact has that had on you?
4: Well, it impacts your um, mental well-being, you know, having having to sort of, well, I suppose, justify um, why you're unemployed and, um, you know, why you can't get a job. Um, it's just especially when you're used to working, you know, it, it impacts on your self-esteem, it impacts on your, um, your, you know, to maintain positivity, you've got to try and maintain your positivity, you know, to try and stop from being negative, um, oh, it's, you know, I can't get a job, well is me, you know, type of thing. So,
1: yeah. It's a bit of a cycle, I can hear that, Faye. Hey, thanks for sharing your story with us this morning and um, best of luck. If anyone knows of a job in regional Victoria for, for Faye, um, please get in touch and we keep our fingers crossed for you. So thanks for that, Faye. Look, Rish, it's not just people who are unemployed that are on Seeker, and I think that's the interesting thing here. Sue's called in from Curranjang. Sue, you're actually working but you're also on Job Seeker.
5: Tell us about that. Yes, um, I think you'd find I have a disability, and uh, I think you'd find a lot of other people with disabilities are working. Um, They they have to do a specific amount of work per week. I'm deemed to do fifteen. I do at least fifteen a week. I do probably twenty hours a week, Um, and I think you'd find it's very common. Most people are actually working some to some extent. Hey, Sue, I, I wanted to
1: ask you a tricky question here and you can feel free to answer it as a friend of a friend of a friend that you know. Do people tend to do cash jobs as well when they're receiving welfare payments? Are I, I,
5: you sort of here about this? I don't. I I invoice every job. I, I'm a sub, basically similar to a subcontractor. I, I clean and um, nanny and um, I need to prove... And I need to prove to Centrelink, uh, to the tax office, that I am working. So, look, I honestly don't know anyone that does that.
2: I guess it's that idea, too, of job seeker being there for you in those shortfall periods. Sue, thank you. This text is from Liz, who's in Ballarat. It says, the demands on the unemployed are unrealistic. Sure, there would be some who are prepared to stay unemployed for whatever reason. But given that unemployed numbers will always outweigh jobs available, what does it matter? The genuine article needs to have more support, uh, even if a few get it for a free ride along the way, so be it. Ken's in Geelong. Good morning, Ken. Good morning. What did you want to say? All right. Well, I've got a,
6: a perspective as someone who's in their early sixties, as similar to that previous lady. Um, I've seen the issues of. Um, I've both been a renter and a mortgage holder. I've currently have a mortgage, and I've both been unemployed, and i both work. I'm currently a Commonwealth public servant at the at the end of my working life, and I can actually. I just think we need to have a little bit more compassion in society for the people who are unemployed because. As that lady said before, there's a lot of self-stigma, a lot of the societal stigma, but there's self-stigma when, when you're not receiving the government benefit. And as a lot of this is about the, the demographics and the policy of particular politicians. But I only just need to remind people is if you went to the United States of America, you're left, you're left to your own devices there. If you haven't been working for any period of time, you, you have to build up an, what's called an insurance credit and also the health system over there. So I see the Dole and Medicare. Mm. I say, um, even though I don't have a religious point of view, I say thank God for those systems as a support mechanism because nobody wants to be on the Dole. Yeah,
1: um, Ken, it is it is that um, it is that thing that everyone has very strong views on this. I, I wonder, Al, you've called in from Stahl, Uh What's your view on on the Job Seeker payment?
6: Um, I've, I'm full time
3: employed, and I normally do between. 40 and 50 hours a week, but due to unforeseen circumstances, we've sort of dropped back to basically a 40-hour week. Um, my last pay, I don't know if I want to say that, but... Go on, um, tell us, how much? <laughs> um, it was just over $1,600. Yeah. So my, my comparison is if I wasn't working and I was on job seeker, which would mean my wife would be able to take on job seeker. And with the amount of money that we would both get on benefits would be pretty close to what my um weight would be for the for the fortnight.
1: It's interesting because I think the thing you touch on there, Al, is uh, like the disincentive. And I've heard a lot of people talking about that. I just want to read you this text message. Mm. Uh, Alan says, I work part-time and I get a part-time or a part job seeker allowance because I'm over 60 and I work those hours, I meet my obligations and I don't actually need to look for more work. So Alan's getting the part-time job seeker allowance and working. Mm. But he doesn't actually need to work more. So it's that, that
2: disincentive idea too. And Simon's in Don vale. He says, I know people who are entitled to a benefit who just stay away from Centrelink because they find it so humiliating and shameful. They live off savings and selling things they find on nature strips, selling plant cuttings at markets, et cetera, as well. So the reality of looking for work and receiving unemployment benefits, is that you? This is The Conversation
0: Hour on ABC Radio Melbourne and Victoria
2: and as we await the federal budget there has already been i guess some hints that there will be some changes to the job seeker announcement Ashlyn McGee is your co-host today and Ash I know that will be what you'll be looking into on 7:30 tonight so today we're looking at the realities of job seeker what does it look like for mm. you what views do people have of you if you're on job seeker and the term Dole bludger? Where and how did it come about and how much of that stigma still rings true today? Anthony O'Donnell is an adjunct senior lecturer at the School of Law at La Trobe University and his most recent book is Inventing Unemployment, Regulating Joblessness in a 20th Century Australia. Anthony, welcome to the Conversation Hour. Do we have a particular Australian view of unemployment and unemployment benefits?
7: Look, thanks for having me. I think the Australian model is particular. We instituted unemployment benefits in 1945 and they were a flat rate benefit subject to a means test that was paid out of consolidated revenue. So it wasn't an insurance type scheme where people paid in during their working life and then got something back that was... Either linked to their contributions or linked to their wage in the job they'd lost. Um, Now, in some ways, that's kind of redistributive and equitable. It meant that first time job seekers could access the Dole, um, but at the same time, it was a very austere um, payment. It was about, at the time it was instituted, it was about 60% of of the minimum wage, and, and it was subject to a means test, as I said, and was also subject to a work test. The idea was that you had to be taking reasonable steps to find work and now that has blossomed into a whole lot of other obligations that people have been talking about that Centrelink um, makes you undertake.
1: So in terms of where we are today and how we've gotten here, how much of it is a political construct and how much is a social construct and how much is a big, ugly mess of the... (laughs) two really
7: well it's probably an ugly mess of the two but i think um that idea that you have to be taking reasonable steps to find work we tended to apply that quite harshly in the post-war decades you were meant to look for any job it wasn't like look for a job in your normal trade or look for a job at a certain wage you were meant to um, look for any work, take it if offered, and stick to it um, and That was partly to do with the post war economy. We wanted um, workers to do work in uncongenial. Jobs because we're involved in a project of post war reconstruction Um, and we were very, we had a period of full employment. And the interesting thing, you mentioned the term gold bludger, that actually emerged when we were still in a full employment economy. The idea that employers were looking for workers and workers weren't presenting for work struck many people as anathema and it was the Liberal government in the early 70s that instructed the then Commonwealth Employment Service to come down particularly hard on um... Uh, mm. The hippie and the surfer element, this idea that people mm. could be just going off to Byron Bay to surf while drawing the dole or people could be living in inner city communes while drawing the dole was seen as you know absolutely outrageous when employers desperately wanted workers of course, a few years later, full employment collapsed um, and then the Dole Bludger became a kind of social pathology of a of a high, em, a high unemployment economy.
2: When we look at unemployment and unemployment benefits, I wonder how much of it falls into different categories, whether there's short-term unemployment and people who find themselves unemployed short-term, but then how we view those who are long-term unemployed. And I read a, a term the other day, Anthony, I'd like to get your... I guess, view on this, and that is unemployment scarring. So I guess the emergence of how someone is scarred from unemployment, what what does that mean?
7: Look, I suppose the idea is that the longer someone is without work, the more their skills atrophy, or equally important, the more that employers perceive those people's skills to have atrophied, which is more or less the same thing. I mean, I think going back to that discussion of unemployment and how we kind of got to where we are today, the problem with the post-war economy and full employment is in a full employment economy, um, workers get uppity. Okay, they start demanding things, and they tend to get them um, because it becomes a seller's market in terms of labour, and that's what really happened in the fifties, sixties, and early seventies. Um, so, is that also what we're that,
1: seeing today, Anthony?
7: Well, I can't see any evidence of them of, of workers getting what they want because wage wages have stagnated in real terms for a long, long time. This is the theory, but. Um, And so I think, you know, people talk about uh, the unemployed being necessary for the economy Um, and uh, Marx would talk about a reserve army of labour, but Economists tend to put it in fancy language. They call it the NIRU, the non-accelerating inflation rate of unemployment. Mm. You need this buffer of people, um, of unemployed people, you know, biting at the heels of the employed so that the employed themselves feel a bit insecure. There's someone else ready to take your job if you get too uppity. It's so true. Anthony,
2: just finally, just quickly, because we've got a full board of calls and we want to get to them. Has the view of all-bludger receiving unemployment benefits, has that changed, do you think? And when we look back back over history and key moments in time when we've looked at unemployment benefits, government unemployment benefits, where does COVID fit into that and the two years where we saw mass groups of people lose their jobs or step back or realise that they were in insecure work, how and will that be recognised or changed, do you think?
7: Look, well, I think Josh Fryderberg and Scott Morrison's response to COVID COVID was quite interesting because um, they kind of did draw the distinction between the deserving and undeserving unemployed in the sense that all of a sudden, a whole lot of people were thrown into unemployment and it was like, oh, my God, what happens if these people who have never been on unemployment benefits before um, are thrown on them and discover what a system of administrative violence Centrelink actually is. Um, We can't have that. Quick, up the benefit. Ease the mutual obligations. Um, We can't have good, solid citizens exposed to this terrible system. Um, And so I think Mm -hmm. their response was quite telling in that way. Um, And... Unfortunately, it was, you know, after COVID, it was snapped back, although we're seeing, hopefully, some signs of change um, with regard to increases to the benefit, and although yeah. not, an, not no, enough. I see that, I mean, see
2: that tomorrow night you know, right, as well.
7: Yeah. Good yeah. On and, you the and the Royal Commission and others, as I've said, expose that system of administrative violence.
2: Anthony O'Donnell, Adjunct Senior Lecturer at the School of Law at La Trobe University. Thank you so much for your insights. And there are key moments. You know, Anthony mentioned a few there, but, of course, the most recent is the pandemic over the Mm. last couple of years and the stereotypes around what people are doing with their time whilst they're on unemployment benefits and the idea of being a dole bludger. Patrick's in McRae. Hi, Patrick. I
3: suppose I'm I'm confessing that I was a dull bludger. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so look, we had came out with terms like surfing for Bob, you know, and that sort of thing. <laughs> and we kind of, but we couldn't really sustain ourselves on it, so we worked the cash thing. Yep. And I think that's an opportunity that some people can pick themselves up because I ended up getting, you know, skilled work in the building industry, ended up becoming a builder, and I haven't been unemployed since I was, 19 so
1: Hey Patrick it, look, it, looking back now at, at, that, at those days I'm, I'm sure it was fun going surfing every day but um, how do you feel ethically about the decisions you made back then
3: uh, Well I was immature and, and I look at it very differently and I'm a little bit embarrassed about it and I shouldn't really be admitting it <laughs> openly, because <laughs> there'll be people that I know listening to this but <laughs> oh,
2: they, Patrick they, you're they, not they, alone and to be honest I mean <clears> can <throat> I ask how old are you how long ago was
3: this Well, I'm 60 now, so um, so that's what I meant by surfing for Bob, Bob Hawke and all that. Of course,
2: and it was a lot easier to receive government government benefits. You know, I'm someone that started Um, out of university in the 90s. I know I was on government benefits at one point. A lot of my mates were on government benefits. It was pretty easy.
3: Yeah, look, it was, but but there was less opportunity for work, and there seems to be a lot more opportunity for work. So I think, and then cash work too, and... People could probably, I think there needs to be a sort of a tiered um, sort of um, unemployment type situation where you can work and earn a bit more and, and maybe not pay so much tax just to get yourself going and get yourself qualified.
1: Yeah, to get back you know. on your feet again. It is an interesting idea. Thanks so much for calling in and for your raw honesty and reflections, Patrick. Hey, um, another person who lives in a beautiful beachside location, Ian from Ocean Grove. You've been holding on the line for so long, but uh, you pick up on a point that a lot of people make uh, about the types of people who are on Job JobSeeker. Um, what's your experience?
8: Well, but my experience as a person who worked in the Latrobe Valley was made redundant. Uh, and then uh, was, uh, I tried to find work. Uh, having a disability was difficult. I have cerebral palsy it fix me. Yeah. And the truth is, I was put on the, on the DSP. I mean, partly, I think, was because the government, uh, partly because they couldn't find work for me, partly because the government wanted to cut down the number of people Uh, on the unemployment queue but the thing is the government, the the new government the the previous uh, conservative government tried to not put people onto the DSP so you've got lots of people including the person from Carajan who was telling you they're working part time but but their ability to work all the time is, is constrained so you've got people if I had applied for the DSP in recent years rather than decades ago mm. i would not probably get it because i'm employable so but i'm a, but you know, if a person if an employer's got the choice of having someone who is who is who's physically fit and can do everything or employing me with my with my good brain but my bad
2: hands what are they going to do and it just shows you too how individual it is, because well, I mean, we're talking about people's individual lives mm. and circumstances as well. Ian, good on you. Great to hear from you. Olivia in St Kilda says, I badly broke my ankle and had to have surgery. I'd previously worked in hospitality in kitchens, so I was standing for eight hours. I couldn't return to work for six months. I went on Job Seeker and ended up having to move back in with my mum and rent out my apartment as the Job Seeker payment wouldn't cover my rent and bills.
0: ABC Radio, Melbourne and Victoria.
2: This is the Conversation Hour. Michelle Hunt and Ashlyn McGee with you talking about Job Seeker, the realities of living on unemployment benefits. Gordon in Ballarat Ash says if an unemployed person lives a certain amount of kilometers away from a town or a regional center, it's the requirement is less for attempting to find available work of any small country towns. Anecdotally, they have a lot of long-term unemployed who I think do not actually have to find or actively find work. Because Because the towns are a longer distance from nominated centres. I don't know the full details of this text, but I'm interested in the facts on this. So depending on your geography. But then there's discussions around should you be forced to move for work or should there be incentives Mm. for you to move for work depending on where you live? And if there's only or if there is no available employment in your country town should you move in order to receive those payments? So it
1: goes to this whole idea doesn't it? That is this a short term get out of jail card essentially? Like is this a quick fix to you haven't got a job quick go get one? Or is this about um, people being able to make a choice about what kind of career they mm-hmm. might like something that brings them yeah. joy something that is satisfying should you be for forced feelings? to
2: use savings so if you've lost your job but you've got money in the bank should you should you be forced use to use that
1: because then that of course spirals you down doesn't it and it's that thing of well we could take we can take a very simplistic view of this and say well someone doesn't have a job but then what we're seeing from these calls and texts that keep flooding in is all the other things that are going on in people's lives, whether that's a disability, and illness, um, family issues that have led to these problems or led to them being on JobSeeker. Um, and our next guest, I think, is a really good example of that. Cliff, um, incidentally, does live in country Victoria. Um, Cliff was a former truck driver. Um, Cliff, do you want to tell us what happened? Because you had your own house, you you were earning a huge amount of money. Tell us what happened.
9: G'day, Rochelle and Ashlyn. Uh, yes, I was earning a pretty good income driving trucks interstate. Um, I'd brought double out to Sydney in 2011 and had a heart attack and was taken to the hospital at Goulburn and then transferred to Canberra, um, which I live in, Victoria, so that was a long way away. Um, the ambulance crew, I don't know whether this is accurate or not, but the ambulance crew reckoned that because I'd had a heart attack, Vic Roads had pulled my light heavy vehicle licences before I even made it to the hospital. Mm. I'm not sure if they do it that quick or not, but that's the sort of thing mm. they said. Um, now, I was making... I literally went from almost $120,000 a year to $18,000 a year on Centrelink benefits, literally overnight.
2: How did that change your life, Cliff? What happened?
9: Well, yeah, I was early 50s. I thought I had 20-odd uh, years still in front of me to keep work. Um, we had a, uh, an old house, but a big house on uh, 40 acres, and we thought we were living pretty good and everything was going to be comfortable. And all of a sudden, you know, we couldn't make the repayments on the mortgage, Um, and to be fair, the bank looked after us very, very well. We spoke with the bank. You
1: never hear that, do you?
4: (laughs) (laughs) I think you you never never
9: hear that. Um, (laughs) But I reckon we were in that house for about six years longer than we really should be, and in the end they said, look, we really think you're going to have to sell this property. We had to go back into renting a house. Um, And where
1: are you you living now, Cliff?
9: I'm living with my younger... We are living with my youngest daughter and her husband and family. Uh, They have 13 acres just out of Bridgewater and we are living in a caravan on the back of their property.
2: Gosh, life changed dramatically for you, Cliff. I know when we spoke to Faye earlier, she used the word... Demeaning. And, you know, if you're someone that's gone from earning 120k a year, having your own business, having a, a house, and being able to provide and support for your family to then living with your daughter, I guess it's not where you, or how you expected your life to go.
9: This is not what the plan was, no.
2: What do you wish people
1: knew about what it's actually like living on JobSeeker?
9: When you were out talking earlier about the term dole bludger, Um, And I hear that online all the time. Uh, And the other one is, uh, excuse me, but get off your ass and get a job. And one of the formal national leaders uh, actually used that term. Um, This morning, there are five new jobs within 100 kilometres of where I am advertised. Four of them are for medical practitioners. The other one is actually for a nurse. So, yeah, I don't qualify for those. People sort of say, yeah, there's plenty of jobs, go and get a job. There are not plenty of jobs. There are a number of jobs around, out there, but most of them want qualifications. And, you know, I, I'm 64 in a few weeks, Um I'm not going to bother getting qualifications now.
2: And that costs a lot of the time as well, and it takes time. And Cliff, we've spoken a lot about how it impacts older women over the age of 55. Do you feel the same issues, though, for you as an older man, going and either reskilling or when people look at job applications like, they go, oh, hang on a second, Cliff's 63. Oh, is he the right person for this job?
9: Um... I have applied for a lot of jobs this year. I was working up until uh, February, I think, uh, this year. I was working part-time. Um, I have applied for... Since February, I reckon I'll we'll be talking into the thousands of jobs that I've applied
1: wow. for. It's huge.
9: Um, I have a, a requirement for Centrelink that I have to, re- have to make so many jobs, but, like, I still have... I have uh, all of my points are done this fortnight, this month and I've got the 30 points up for next month and I'm only one week into that period.
1: Well, guest before, Anthony O'Donnell uh, used this great term administrative violence and just hearing you describe there the points and the um, jobs that you've applied from the obligations that you have... How do you get any headspace free to see your way through this, to see what a future off-job seeker looks like? Or are you just so consumed in the, the, I guess, administrative violence of the whole system?
9: To be honest, I am sitting here now. I will take any job that I get, uh, although I do have restrictions with what I can do. I'm not as fit as I used to be. Um, but I would take just about any job I can get, and... Um, but it has to be a full-time job because a part-time job is just changing the amount of money I'm getting from Centrelink for the amount of money I'm getting for someone, from somebody else. And one of my concerns is that uh, once I get to $256, I earn $256 in a fortnight. They take 60 cents in a dollar off me for every cent, every dollar I earn over the $256. Now, that's sort of fair. I can understand the reasoning behind that. But my wife, who is a little bit older than me, is on the pension, and they take 60 cents and a dollar off her when I earn over $256. And you know, $256 is two weeks' wages. Sorry, two weeks' worth yeah. of fuel. Mm. Two tables of fuel.
2: And it's that disincentivized concept to work, which we hear so often. Just finally, Cliff, how does it then impact your retirement, you know, your superannuation, I mean, have you had to draw on your super? Has this impacted what you thought you would do for the rest of your life and whether or not now you will be relying on pension more than what you expected to be?
9: We will be relying completely on the pension. I, um, I did have ideas of retiring and living in a Caribbean, travelling around Australia. Well, we're going to live in the Caribbean without travelling around Australia.
2: Oh, Cliff, I'm so sorry. Texts have come in saying stories like Cliff should bring it home to everyone. There's more than just one site to being unemployed and the extension of a pension to age 67 hasn't helped either. Cliff, we wish you all the best. It sounds like you have a wonderful family that are there supporting you and, you know, we've got your details. So if anyone rings through and they think that they've got a, a job for <laughs> you, um, then, you know, you're in central Victoria in and around the yep. Bendigo region. We've got your details. Mate, we wish you all the best.
9: Thank you very much.
2: Good on you, Cliff. I was only one hundred and twenty k a year, Ash. know, anyway, and was so close, almost to retirement. You'd be mm. thinking only a couple of years away. You got yourself set up this is the plan, this is how it's going to unfold and it's just not how it works. It just goes
1: to that thing, doesn't it, that there are all kinds of circumstances that lead people to be on Job Seeker, and essentially what we're trying to do is have a system and that's what we have to do in Australia. We have to have a system that is a sort of a one-size-fits-all model and it simply doesn't work and that's what we're seeing on the text line from so many people or hearing on the text line. Um, I just wanted to read you a couple of these um, people have very strong views. Someone Mm. says, I'm sick of hearing why someone should get something for nothing. The generations before us have built and we all continue to build a prosperous country that can afford to pay all citizens a universal social income that is well above the poverty line and allow people to choose to work, not work, volunteer or care for others without all the red tape. And someone else brings up that idea too of the living wage that was an opt-out basis, as is done in some overseas countries, they say, part of a taxable income. All of this would stop the gap in support for the unemployed, disaster relief and the like.
2: Associate Professor Elise Klein is from the Crawford School of Public Policy at Australian National University. Elise, you have looked into and researched for some time now the idea of how we stigmatise unemployed people and have done so for almost 100 years After listening to Cliff, you know, why is it? Why do we stigmatise unemployment?
10: Oh, hi, everyone. Um, Thanks very much for having me on. I mean, stigma basically um, gives consent to to government policies like we have been hearing about um, from Cliff and others. So, um, you know, stigma allows disentitlement policies, hostile policies such as, You know low low payments um that are not enough to live on plus mutual obligations it it allows it, it creates a kind of narrative um that politicians tell segments of the media tell um that the public believe um and um and that allows no one to question um the cruelty and the hostility of what's happening in the social security system
1: it's um i guess if we go to the politics of it all at least because as you're saying there you you're essentially saying right that it is um a political construct to assist with policy there what does yeah. the ideal system look like? And, and we can talk about our deal in a wonderland where we've got all the money in the world, but we have a limited budget. Uh, if we were to put more money into the federal budget, it has to come from somewhere. That is, um, you know, taxes, you, me, companies, all the rest of it. So working within what we've got, what does the ideal system actually look like?
10: Well, I mean, I would. I think some of your callers make a really important point. A very, very wealthy country such as Australia can um, afford a social security system that doesn't use poverty put, to push people through the cracks, but can actually stop people from falling through the cracks. And you know, the budget line is often put, called out and said, "Oh, we can't afford it." Um, but budgets are political choices. They're they're choices around. Uh, priorities for the government but also ways for government to continue to stay in power and unfortunately for too long there has been buy-in from the general public that um, folks receiving social security um, don't deserve so there's this sort of idea of contribution and deservingness and undeservingness um, that feeds into the stigma. And, you know, that's been propelled by politicians and segments mm. of the media around deservingness and undeservingness. And if they've allowed, it's allowed them to get away with it.
2: And if we look at unemployment as just one of the elements of a bigger picture, right, which we haven't been able to get into today. So what are those support services, as you mentioned there, Elise, you know, what has led to someone to be in this circumstance? That is a huge big picture of what do we wrap around and how do we support people generally? We had a lot of people texting back about someone who spoke about how they hurt their ankle and they work in hospitality and as a result they had to go on job seek. and people saying, well, they could and should get sickness benefits. But if you're in insecure work and if you're not on a, a full-time contract, if you are working in a casualized sense, lots of people are saying a very similar thing. You know, my partner is a tradie, there are contractors, they hurt themselves. You don't get sickness benefits. You don't have all of those mm. systems in place for you. But I read this mm. quote that was talking about how we like to, and it's generalising, that we like to, as Australians, feel like we need to punish those who are unemployed rather than support them to de-incentivise anyone from going on to some form of unemployment benefit. Is Mm -hmm. it punishment? Mm -hmm. Is it to be seen as, well, we're not going to support you, but here's a, a, a small amount, get a job.
10: Yeah, I mean, absolutely. It does have a punishing sort of um, uh, impact, these hostile conditions that are placed on people um, receiving Social Security. It does... In a way, condition the workers to make sure you keep working um, because the economy needs you to to pay your taxes. Um, you know, it's part of the broader economic model. So there is a sort of disciplining um, uh, implication of these policies for the workers. Um, but it also feeds into this long-held belief in sort of the settler Australian sort of story of uh, deservingness and undeservingness, and that really being linked to. Contribution based on people's proximity to employment, and so if you have, uh, you know, a job, you're seen as a contributor. Um, but what that overlooks is the extraordinary contributions that many people who are receiving Social Security make. Of course, people pay taxes, but there's a lot of unpaid um, care work that's being done mm. in the community. Yes, we haven't even
2: touched um, on that, yeah.
10: <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, that's really critical because that's the damage of what the stigma has done. It's made people or the public feel that we've got, uh, you know, a community where people, you know, you're only making a contribution if you're in employment. That's important, but so is unpaid care. So is, you know looking out for people, um, engaging in community. So just a a, a side story, when COVID hit and in 2020, the government did something Mm. quite extraordinary. They suspended mutual obligations and they gave many folks, not everyone on social security, a $550 supplement. It was kind of like, I mean, scholars in this area think about it as like a, a move towards a basic income. It was amazing. I know, and
2: it changed a lot of people's views, didn't it, at the time when yeah. we talk about those key moments. Elise, thanks so much for your time. Elise, uh, Associate Professor Elise Klein, and we were talking about unpaid care as a part of those who may be receiving benefits, and that's something we haven't discussed today. So let's end with Martha, or Marta, I should say, in Kiwa. Hi, Marta. Hi, hi. Thank you very much for getting me on. Um, yeah, my... Um Uh,
8: I moved to Kiwa five years ago uh, to care for my father. Um, His wife had died um, the year before, and he has Parkinson's, so I I lived in his house with him for um, three years um, plus, I can't remember exactly, and um, to help him stay in his home for as long as possible until he needed to go into the nursing home. Um, So I was on uh, carer's payment while he was here, um, and once he went into the nursing home, that all ended and I was put on to um, JobSeeker. Um, what happened there? So once an elderly person goes into mm. a nursing home, your job doesn't stop.
2: Yeah, that's right. Um, and that an enormous un- unpaid of work. care work, when we talk about the cost on society, so there's the cost of the actual keeper or job seeker benefit, Ash. But as Marta just said, then there's, if Marta for however many years kept her dad out of the system, she's helping Mm. us. She's helping society. She's taking that cost burden Mm. off government benefits. And at some point, of course, some people do need to go into care permanently. But unpaid care is saving money
1: yeah and it is interesting how many people uh, who are on job seeker have caring responsibilities either to themselves or to others that's impacting them. I just wanted to um, ask Jackie in Ringwood who's called in Jackie, you're on job seeker, and I just wonder just as a final thought if if the job seeker rate was increased uh, and perhaps a sort of a uni- clearly won't be increased to a universal wage level uh, wage level, but if it was increased, what would that actually mean to your life? What would that do to your ability to find
4: find a job? Oh, well, nothing. It's just a matter of the job being out there. So, so you, <laughs> yeah, I've done, all, done yeah. the course, done it all, looking for jobs every day, but there's none available. So it's it's not so much to my financial side as the fact that the jobs aren't there that I've just finished the course for.
1: What would it make in terms of a difference to your life? What's it like living on JobSeeker? Uh,
4: well, I've always been very, very cautious with my money. So there's nothing spare, that's for sure. But um, yeah, I just, just get through, don't go anywhere, don't do anything basically.
1: Yeah, interesting. Thanks for calling in, Jackie. Really appreciate you sharing. It's that Um, idea of
2: a life with dignity, what it costs to look for a job, what it costs to get by as well tomorrow night we will hear as the federal budget gets passed down we know there's been a focus on older women and older women and making and ensuring that they're safe this tax here i'm a statistic i'm a woman 58 years of age i've had to rely on centrelink for the very first time to support myself after a separation i now work just over the hours and pay to claim any benefit which is a double-edged sword i'm okay for now but if i find but if i find myself without work or when i retire that will be a completely different matter and and it's very worrying. Ash, you're, this is what you've been looking into for hmm. 7.30. That will be on the tally this That's evening. Right. It's, yeah. And forever, since the beginning of welfare payments, it's emotional and everyone has an opinion, but not necessarily everyone has been on some kind of welfare benefit or welfare been a recipient of welfare.
1: That's absolutely right. And I think so many of the people that I talk to um, have very personal and very different experiences. No two people have been the same about, and we've heard that today on the show too, how they came to actually be on welfare and whether they would like to get off it, how they plan to get off it uh, and what that looks like. Some it's a short-term thing and for others it is a longer-term intergenerational issue that, that they're struggling with and that they would really like to not be in that position so we'll explore that
2: a little bit more on seven thirty tonight as always thank you so much for being a part of the conversation hour my pleasure take care and i'll speak with you tomorrow